Hello and welcome to the Life is Story podcast. I'm Josh Olds, and today I'm with Siri Mitchell. Uh, Siri's written a number of novels, but we're going to focus on her upcoming work, State of Lies, uh, which releases... I got the title of the book wrong, didn't I? Did I get it? I did. I'm talking about your, your novel that you released last year. So this is, right. the, this is the issue in books, because we're recording this podcast uh, the last day of July, and I think your book does not come out until October. October, that's right. Okay, so um, I guess let's start with this. Tell me what the title of the book is. <laughs> okay, it's called Everywhere to Hide. Everywhere to Hide. All right, I did know that. I promise you I knew that. Um, so, all right, Everywhere to Hide, it releases um, in October and I I knew that, and I still tell you that what I wrote down in my notes was for your book that you released last year, which released in August. Okay. That's why August was in my brain, since tomorrow is August. And also oh, in my sure. brain yeah. was that I had written this down in my notes because I went, oh, I want to also read her other suspense book as well. Um, so I wrote that down instead of writing anything down about the, the book that I just read. Uh, that's never happened before, but it is a good oh. entrance to um, to to your book. Uh, so let's set the foundation, and maybe we'll go back and talk about State of Lies later if we have some time. Uh, but give me the elevator pitch for your upcoming book, the one coming out in October. Okay, well, the basic elevator pitch is how can you protect yourself from an enemy that you cannot see? Um, the protagonist in Everywhere to Hide has a condition called prosopagnosia, and um, it's otherwise known as space blindness. So this is a condition in which a person can see everything. It's not a traditional blindness. Uh, the problem is that they cannot map faces. So the part of the brain that maps the face just is not... It's not working. It's not connected. So, for instance, a person could tell you um, with this condition what clothes somebody was wearing, whether maybe they had glasses, if they had a beard, but they can't tell you anything about how the features are arranged. So, in effect, uh, in the worst case of this condition, you're, you're face blind, quite literally. Uh, so, my protagonist, Whitney Garrison, is a face blind person who witnesses a murder. The murderer sees her, and over the course of the story, it becomes apparent that the murderer is also after her. So um, that's that's the hook. It's how can she escape if she can't even understand who it is that's pursuing her. Mm-hmm. That it's such an interesting concept because um, it is it's 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 a a real life uh, disorder that people have in, in various levels of severity. And we rely so much on, I think, faces, you know, if you were going to to um, try to describe someone in detail, you would have to use that element of their face in order to do that. Uh, so this this was a unique thing that I had not, uh, I, I had heard of prosopagnosia. I hadn't ever put it in the context of like, oh, wow, what would that be like to have that? And, and to try to have to identify someone like this. So what, like, where did your idea for 
a story like this come from? Well, I'm I'm a person who consumes a lot of um, a lot of material, whether that's news or books, uh, newspapers. And one of the things I do when I'm just out and about is listening to the radio. So I had NPR on Monday, and they had an interview with a couple, uh, one of which has this condition. And they the interview was about their relationship um, and what it was like for the man who had face blindness to date a woman who did not. And toward the end of the interview, uh, it it became apparent that they broke up eventually. And for the first time, um, the girlfriend, the woman, told the man with face blindness that after they broke up, going by his place of work, he worked as a waiter just to see him. She would just stand across the street and watch him, which sounds a little stalker creepy, <laughs> but the way she said it wasn't. It was just, you know, when you break up with someone, you it's hard sometimes to just have a final um, end. You just sort of want to see him. And he didn't know that. He had no idea. So just the realization in his voice that he had been with someone um, through relationship, they were close and he couldn't even recognize her if she did not, you know, say, Hey, here I am. You know, that just, it was so haunting and it was so, um, such a powerful moment. And that got me thinking about face blindness, how you can't even recognize necessarily the people closest to you. And what would that be like? As you asked on a daily basis, how would you live your life? And then my writer's brain sort of kicked in and said, well, hmm, this actually could be a dangerous condition. What if, what if uh, someone was pursuing you and, and you didn't know it, you had no way of knowing it, how on earth would you protect yourself? How would you get out of that situation? So that's, that's kind of how the idea started. And then my brain just sort of, my subconscious went to work on it. And when I had the chance, um, I was able to write it. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I think that one of the reasons that I I forgot the title of your novel uh, is because I spent more time going down the rabbit trail of face blindness than actually preparing the interview questions. Because I was like, you know, I don't know what this, you know, I I have an idea of how it's presented in the book. Um, I I haven't really read about this in real life. And then it it surprised me to find out that there have been several – uh, prominent people who have had this, uh, Oliver Sacks, the, the famous neurologist, uh, had, had this condition himself and wrote about it mm-hmm. and also wrote about how when, when you have it initially, especially if you have a milder form, you don't always recognize it because your brain just sort of is like, well, this is what, you know, it, this is your experience. So this must be what it's like for everyone. And it's those more severe ones that really are the ones that, that get noticed. Um, so there's always like ways that the brain tries to counteract or tries to to fill fill in details, um, but it, it's also you know there's also there's always going to be that that something missing, and um, you, what you brought to the story with this character was really it, I, I think it I think it's almost like this this primal fear that it brings out in people that like what if we can't recognize the danger that's closest to us. Um, right. You know, that's the thing that I kept coming back to uh, in this novel is that's what makes it terrifying is that we the realization and sort of I think the overall theme um, that we can like apply, you know, we may not have prosopagnosia, but 
it got me to thinking personally, you know, are there dangers in my life or like what would it, what would this take for me? What are my blind spots? Uh, what don't I see? Um, so did, was there something that when you were writing, they obviously, um, you know, you're, you're writing this from the standpoint of this is a character, uh, you don't have personal experience with this. So as you're writing into it, was there something from your life that you thought this is what this would be like for me, so this is how I'm going to pour this into this character? Um, I can tell you that as a writer, this was a really difficult mm-hmm. story to write, um, mostly because I write in first person. So for the reader, um, your experience reading a first person novel would be it's written from the I perspective. I went here. I did this. It, it really puts the reader inside the head of the main character. Um, so as I write, as the writer, I am seeing the entire story through that character's eyes. If there's something that character doesn't know or can't see, then I can't use that. I can't put that in my story because it sort of um, goes against that that convention of writing. So um, writing in first person, it's just the way I write. So that is an easy way for me to see a story, except that this character could not some things and so I found as a writer that I didn't know about myself um, but in the past I have relied a lot in my descriptions of other characters um, descriptions of their face Um, you know maybe somebody would wink or maybe they would frown or you know their smile their their mouth would tip up in a smile and I couldn't use any of those um, body language cues from the face, um, I also couldn't really. I, I was, I was trying to give the reader a sense of what the world would look like. So I didn't use any descriptions that involved the face. I didn't say, you know, character had blue eyes or, you know, thick brows or, you know, anything at all. So I felt as a writer a little bit um, like one of, well, several of my tools in my writer toolkit had been taken away, and it really took me a it was hard to figure out how to convey information to the reader without using those cues. Um, so that was interesting for me and as a writer, and I didn't expect that um, at all. The other thing that happened because my main character was face blind is that I could not see the villain. There were several, several drafts of this story that I went through and I knew, you know, one of the people had to be that person, uh, but I couldn't, see I, I literally could not see who it was so there was some backtracking in the plot um, there was some discussion with my editors the story went through several rewrites until we kind of all <laughs> sat down and grappled with it um, simply because my character didn't know so um, these were both unexpected complications of writing a character with face blindness mm-hmm, mm-hmm. One of the one of the other prominent themes in the book, and um, this is kind of brought up throughout, and then in the discussion questions at the end of the book, it, it's it's kind of made a prominent theme again, and um, and also when I when I asked the publisher for suggested question topics, this is a topic they brought up, is that the issue of of struggling with money, and struggling with mm-hmm. debt, uh, plays a pretty large role in the novel. 
what what made you want to explore that theme? Um, I think, well, my guess, my theory, <laughs> as as a, as a writer, as a person, is that I just I consume so much information, and I've done this several times in different books. I've almost sort of predicted the future, and I think it just comes from reading broadly and themes in our culture just kind of bubble up and, and several of the themes have been having to do with uh, college debt, how difficult that is, um, having to do with the difficulty structurally in our society of trying to move up um, maybe from one class to another, from one place in our society, trying to you know gain an education, trying to get the right job, trying to do the right things. But there really are elements that make it difficult, even if you do all the right things, to be able to advance. Um, so I think that just all of that information sort of combined into my subconscious saying, hey, these are things you need to write about. Um, but it fits with the theme, I think, that idea of as you ask, what are the things I don't see? What are my blind spots? And for my character, a lot of those blind spots had to do with money um, and the how she thought the way forward really was actually a way to be indebted in many areas of her life. Mm-hmm. I, I think that a lot of people just kind of have the the mindset of uh, this, you know, this is natural. Everybody goes through this, and and that that sort of that's like a cycle that plays into itself because the more that people think that, the more that they just accept that this is the way things are going to be. Um, mm-hmm. And, and we and we fail then to look at the larger systemic issues that sort of cause that. And you know, there's mm-hmm. both that there's both in the sense there's that personal responsibility to to make the best of the situation that you're in and to work as hard as you can to overcome um, to overcome that. Um, but there's also take trying to take a look at, at the systemic issue of why is this hard? Uh, why is this an, an issue for so many people? Um, what, you know, what is the source of this inequity or inequality or this struggle mm-hmm. and how can, you know, and that's the, I think that's the idea of you have to be aware of not only inside yourself, those personal things to you, but you also have to be able to look out and, and see what the world around you is like. And if you don't see that, then you're just sort of stuck and not knowing why I'm mm-hmm. going through this problem or doing this thing. Yeah, I think um, in our society, there are a lot of stories we all tell ourselves. Um, One of them is the one my main character, Whitney, deals with. It's the idea of, well, of course, if you get into an Ivy League school, you're going to go. Of course, if you get a chance to have a top-notch internship, you're going to take it. Of course, if you have the ability to go on to a really prestigious elite graduate school, you're going to go. And those stories only really work for a, a certain at a certain level in our society, and that's that's kind of the thing that she discovers. Um, we would all like to believe that that some things would work for everyone, no matter who you are, uh, what you do, and where you live in America. But it's really um, it's it's not true. Mm-hmm. So that's also is ties in with those themes. Mm-hmm. 
one of the things about this novel is that it's set in the Washington D.C. area, which I, I I think that's also where you you live in that area as well. Uh, did you choose that area just because okay, this is where I live, this is what I know about, or was there some specific reason that you wanted to set your novels in that area? Um, I think it was when I started writing suspense the ideas um, that came to me just really were set in this area. And I think it's, I think it's uh, something to do with the, the spirit of living here, just that intrigue, that idea of corruption, of um, espionage. It just is sort of endemic <laughs> in this area. Um, so really I had been writing historicals earlier in my career and it took a break. And when I came back, I decided I wanted to write contemporaries and, uh, I have been kind of susceptible to, to the influence on my ideas of setting of where I live. Um, I lived in France for a while. I've written several, several novels set there. I lived in Japan. I, I wrote a novel that was set there, so um, I just think it, it was something about this area that really spoke to the idea of suspense and thriller. Mm-hmm. So. so let's let's talk about that movement then to to writing suspense because yeah you you had written a number of books uh, in the historical kind of historical romance I think genre uh, then you had written some books in I think more contemporary fiction maybe general fiction, um, but you, you hadn't really written anything that would be classified as suspense or marketed as suspense, I think, until State of Lies, uh, which is which was your release last year. Um, why why you switch up when you're having success in, in one genre? Uh, what made you go, okay, I, I want to put that aside for a while and focus on something different? Um. That is a good question, and it has to do kind of with the arc of my writing. So I had written, boy, nine, ten, eleven historicals, I think, um, and a contract came to an end. And at that point, I was just really depleted create creatively. I didn't, I didn't have any stories left, and it was kind of a scary time for me um, because my my muse went away, um, my ideas dried up. So I. There was nothing I was interested in writing, but worse for me as a person is that there was nothing I was even interested in reading. I think I went almost a year without even picking up a book of any kind. I mean, I didn't even really read a cereal box. And for me, that was, <laughs> that was just uh, very frightening and confusing. Um, and... I have some in-laws who are artists and they were in the area and they came over and um, it is always fun to talk to them about the creative process. And I just was kind of casting around and I said, you know, I'm in this place. I just can't, I can't do anything. I can't write. I can do nothing having to do with what my soul is. And I said, has this ever happened to you? And um, one of them it was kind of silent for a moment and I think she blinked and then she said, of course, of course it's happened to me. And I thought, wow, okay. You know, tell me more because I've been thinking that I, I don't know what's happening to me, but she, um, she talked with me about it and it's, 
made made the the spot I was in less permanent and more cyclical. So it, it gave me some hope and it also gave me permission to just be where I was and um just live without worrying, you know, what was gonna happen, was I ever gonna write again? Um so I I did in fact come out of that and I did decide, you know, I I want to write another story and I spoke with my agent and she said, you know, just write whatever comes out. I'm I'm not concerned about what it is, whether it's like what you wrote before or something new, just write. And um and so I did and suspense is just what came out of me. Um I think there are several reasons for that. One is I really like suspense, mystery thrillers, um anything and that genre is is what I like to read. Um, the second was I think I was looking for a way to to work on some of the flaws in my writing. Um, and I think I've done that by studying suspense. I really took myself to school when I decided, okay, this is a story I want to write. I have no idea how to write this story. <laughs> how am I going to do it? Um, so what I did is I checked out a bunch of books on how to write suspense, um, mysteries, plotting, things like that. And then I went to Amazon and I took a list of bestsellers in the category. I went online and I Googled the top authors and looked at the books that they recommended, their their personal favorites. And I just read about 20 books. It took a month or a month and a half, but I just sat down and I read and I took notes and just kind of studied what they all had in common. Um, and so with that, I I started writing, and I worked, I think, about six months. I sent, and this was State of Lies, I sent it to my agent. She had it for a month or so and got back to me and said, you know, Siri, I think this idea is really good, but your story is really terrible. She said, you you really need to, you know, you've got to rewrite this. And so she gave me feedback. I rewrote it, sent it back to her. Um, she said, you know, this is better. Um, and now you need to work with an editor. And she gave me the name of a freelance editor. And I rewrote it for her. And it finally sold. And I rewrote it again for the editor who bought it. So it was a long process of learning how to do a kind of writing I hadn't done before. Um, but it just... It was a story that kind of came out of that that reset on who I was as a writer. Was was there a reason that you began your career with with uh, historical fiction? Uh, like, what led you? I, I guess let's just start at the beginning and just talk about your writing life in general. Uh, what you know, what led you to want to be a writer, and then how did you sort of make your appearance into the world of publishing? Um, I had always enjoyed writing assignments as I was growing up in school. It's always something that I got graded well on and I didn't mind essays, you know, writing stories, anything like that. And so as I grew up, I thought, you know, hey, writing a book is something I really should try sometime. And uh, when my husband and I moved to France, I finally got the time and the space to be able to try writing and um, before we went to France, he was with the military, so they sent us both to language school um, because there aren't any American bases in in France, and it was an exchange program. So 
the military anticipated that we would be living in a French city on our own. So we needed to know how to speak a language. Um, and one of the things that the language school did was built a kind of a, a dialogue that sort of getting to know you first five minutes of a conversation. They really derailed us on that over and over. And it was, you know, hello, my name is Siri Mitchell. I'm an American. Um, and then the next thing you would roll into is what you did for a living. What was your job? Who were you? And I was in a class that was full of army, you know, rangers and specialists. And I was kind of at the end of that seating row. And so the lesson where we learned, you know, what I do for a living, it was easy for them, you know, I'm a soldier, I'm a soldier, I'm a soldier. And it was coming down to me and I had been working as a secretary and I figured um, just the way, you know, things usually work. If I said I was a secretary, I might be the one who ended up doing all the group projects and, you know, editing for people and all of this. And I just did not want to do that. And so I, I looked really quick in my French English dictionary and I thought, ah, what can I be that makes sense? And I thought, I know, I'll be a writer. And so I looked it up, got the word. And when it came to me, I said, you know, my name is Siri. I'm an American and I'm a writer. And my French teacher's eyes just lit up. You know, that was probably the best thing I could have said because the French love of literature is so strong. And so she didn't know that I was really basically lying. And so I became a writer to her. And then when we got to France, um, the first weekend we were there, we were taken to a bilingual church by our sponsors. And um, I met a French college student. And his specialty was 1970s detective dramas, like Starsky and Hutch, that sort of thing. And so he was excited to talk to a new American because he could test his English. And I was excited to talk to a French person who was, you know, not very scary. He was a college student, so it was easy for me to practice my French. And so, you know, we got into it. Hey, what's your name? My name's Siri. Well, you know, are you an American? Yes, I'm an American. So what do you do? I'm a writer. And he said, wow, really? Because we have another writer in the church. She's this famous British author. And he, before I could say, you know, retract and say, well, not really. I'm not really a writer. Um, he was dragging me over to meet her. And she turned out to be uh, Noreen Reels, who worked for the, you know, Churchill Secret Army during World War II. She worked for, um, for that. So she was pretty hardcore back then, um, and still pretty hardcore when I met her. And um, and she believed it. She believed that I was a writer. And so every Sunday after that, she would always come up and say, you know, what are you writing? When can I read it? I would really, you know, let's talk about writing. And so the choice at that point was, okay, I can either tell her that I lied and I'm really not a writer, or I could just write a book. <laughs> and for me, by far the easiest option was just to write the dang book. So so that's how my first book came about was um was writing it because she thought I was a writer and I was too afraid to tell her <laughs> I wasn't. <laughs> that's a great story. So that's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I think so everyone everyone needs that. There's so many people who like want to be writers and it's so hard to get started. So I I guess just fake it till you make it. That's that's the moral of the story. Just just yeah. go for it. Yeah, so I I went for it, and that book is unpublished. Um, it probably will never be published. But uh, after that, so I was finishing that one. I got an idea for a second novel, and I wrote that one. Um, that one did eventually end up getting published, and I wrote 
a nonfiction manuscript that I call a Christian should be more Parisian. And it was just kind of a, a look at slices of French history or daily life and how they related to to my faith and spirituality. And um, and I shopped that project around for a long time. And I had an agent who was interested in it but couldn't sell it. Um, but I sort of, you know, we, we emailed back and forth several rounds. And in the meantime, I wrote... What did I write? I, I wrote a couple, at least one more book, and I got to the point, and it was about four years down the road from us first moving to France, and I just was frustrated. I had about 160 rejections at that point over several books uh, from editors and agents, and I just, I was talking to God, and I just said, you know, I'm going to, I just need to, I need to wrap this up. So here, God, is what I will do for you. I will follow every, you know, thread that is still in existence for these books. And at the very end of that, following up every lead I had, um, if nothing comes through, nothing comes through, that's fine. I will figure it is a sign from you that there's something else I'm supposed to be doing. So one of the threads that I followed was recontacting that agent. Um, And another thread was following up with an editor who uh, also sort of had said they thought the idea was interesting. So the result of that is that about the same time I got an editor to be interested in the book at the same time that that agent was. Uh, So that was still the nonfiction manuscript. And the editor who was interested said, hey, we like these ideas about Christians being more Parisian, but we can't sell this nonfiction. Could you write it as a novel? And at that point, I had a, a temper tantrum with God and I said, absolutely not. I am absolutely not going to write another book that nobody has asked for and doesn't want. And no, I refuse. This is just too much, too much, God. Do you hear me? Um, so I, I flounced around for about a month and then I finally figured, you know, this is the closest I've gotten. I'll just, I'll just write, I'll, I'll write like 20,000 words and I will send it to the other and see if this is what they want. And so it was, in fact, what they wanted. And it was about the time that Chicklet was reaching, it was on the upswing, reaching its um, high point. And so it turned into my first published novel, which was Kissing Adrian. And that's how that sold. And my second published novel actually was the one that I had written in that four years. And it was called Chateau of Echoes. Um, and it was picked up as well by some publishers. So. So that kind of got me rolling, and I have kept on from there. Wow, that, that, that's such a crazy story. That's that, that's wonderful. Um, we have we have a lot of people who who listen to this podcast that, like I said, are they are writers that they want to write. So if you had if you had one piece of advice to give to them, uh, what would you know? What would it be? Um, it would be to write, like write. Period. <laughs> that's an imperative. Um, because a lot of people spend a lot of time trying to figure everything out, um, you know, how to plot, how to develop characters, how to write dialogue. And there's, you could, you could prepare for writing for years, but until you actually sit down and start writing something, it's all theoretical. And every writer's process is different. And so 
you can read all the books you want about how to write, but until you actually sit down and write, you won't know what works for you. So writing is something that is a continual learning process. With each book I write, I am still trying to polish up my rough edges. I'm still working to make my flaws uh, better. I'm still working. I set myself a challenge for each book to do something different or better or um, just kind of stretch myself in some way. So you really have to start writing in order to get that process rolling. And it doesn't have to be perfect. Uh, The other thing I always say is you can't edit a blank page. You've got to write something in order to be able to edit it. So um, starting, starting is what I would tell people. Yeah, that's good. Um, so last question for you, and I, I hate to do this, but I, I end all of my interviews this way. Uh, and authors either love it or they hate it uh, because I, I ask them what they're what, what what do they have coming up next, and either they hate it because you know, hey, this is the book I'm getting ready to release, uh, or they love it because when you've written a novel and it's being published, you know, you you finished that novel a while back. And you're already on to something new. And they sometimes they want to talk about what they have that's coming up. So are you sticking to suspense fiction for the time being? What are you writing right now? Right now, I am writing nothing <laughs> at all. And I will tell you why. Um, my books, right, I would like to write another suspense political thriller. And um, I'm, I'm working toward those ideas. I had a whole list of ideas and several that I really wanted to write. If you'd asked me this question in February, I probably would have been starting out on one of them. But but the quarantine happened, and then um, the political world here just fell off a cliff into fantasy land. <laughs> and, and the problem I'm finding is that there's nothing that I can make up that is crazier than what actually is happening right now. Um, so I feel like my muse and my subconscious is on that recalculating, you know, when you're driving in your car with GPS and you turn the wrong direction and it takes the computer just a little bit of time to catch up with where you are. Um, I feel like my subconscious is still kind of churning over what is this world that we're living in? How, how has it changed? Um, as we approach the election in November, I mean, some of my ideas I could write two different ways depending on who wins the election. And if I choose wrong, then my book is going to be, I don't know, like alternate historical fiction. You know what I mean? Um, So I'm giving myself a conscious break in order to let my, my subconscious do the work for me of sorting and sifting and trying to figure out what makes sense. Um, as I said before, I, I take in a lot of information and uh, eventually it kind of coalesces around a theme or a point, but um, I just, it, it hasn't coalesced yet. So, um, so I'm doing other things like, you know, sewing face masks and trying to take a daily walk or work out and just giving myself time and space again in order to see what comes out. Yeah. Well, Siri, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to be on the podcast today. I, I really appreciate it. And again, the book is, is Everywhere to Hide. Uh, it comes out in October of, of this year. And I think this, this podcast, like I said, it's being recorded at the end of July. We'll get it published uh, sometime 
sometime before the book's release so that as, as you're listening to this, you have time to go out and pre-order it from Amazon, uh, from Barnes & Noble, from your local independent bookstore, wherever you buy your books. Uh, but this is one that it, it, it's it's a unique book. It has a unique hook. Uh, I have read a lot of books, and I've not come across anything quite like this before. So I, I think you're going to enjoy it.